Thank you, Beth and Kevin, and good evening. Good to see all of you tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 tonight, we're going to be looking at a prayer of Paul. And in this prayer, I want us to look at the context of the prayer and the content of the prayer. But before we get into the prayer tonight, I want us to go back and sort of review the first 14 verses that we looked at last week. Because in this great letter from Paul to the Ephesian Christians, we are going to discover our identity as the church, as the body of Christ. And Paul's even going to talk to us about that a little bit more tonight as he ends this prayer. But remember from last week, Paul opened up this great letter by reminding us of the greatness of our God and the greatness of our salvation that we have in God. He points out to us God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the first 14 verses. And it's all sort of culminating in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14 where he ends by saying, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, or to the praise of his glory of his grace. And that God not only created us to know him, but to worship him, that we were created to be worshipers. And that as God's people, we should live to bring praise to God. As we saw last week, Paul even told the Corinthians, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, all of it should be done to the glory of God, that people should see who God really is through us and our lives and the way we live. That's part of who we are to be as God's people. So in the first 14 verses, Paul's basically saying, my goodness, when you begin to discover how great God is and how great our salvation is and what God has done for us, how can we not but praise him? How can we not be led but to worship him? But then, notice also then, as we transition from the first 14 verses to this prayer of Paul, that Paul also says, when you begin to discover the bigness of our God, the greatness of our God, and that because we are connected to him, that we are now part of something as his people, as his church, that is so much bigger than we are, that it not only drives us to praise, but it drives us to our knees. And we should be people of prayer because how can we, you know, really begin to grasp all that God has for us unless we are daily communing and communicating with him and praying and not only praying to him and talking with him, but as Paul's going to do here, also praying for other believers to know the things that will open up our eyes to what God has for us as his people. So that's why he starts out in verse 15 by saying, for this reason, which points back to the first 14 verses, that that's sort of the link that says, yes, we are created to worship and that the greatness of our God and the greatness of our salvation should lead us to be worshipers, but it should also drive us to our knees. And so he says, for this reason because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, you see, when I remember you in my prayers. 
He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him, the end of verse 17. And then he says, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This power he demonstrated or exercised in his immense strength, and that immense strength again was exercised in Christ or through Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, verse 21, far above, not just above, far above all, all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And then he says in verse 22, and God placed everything under Christ's feet and gave him to the church so that he would be the head of all things. Now the church, verse 23, is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a tremendous prayer Paul is praying here. And I want us tonight to see a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to go backwards through the prayer. You know how Pastor Jeff is. I'm sort of a backwards person anyway. So we're actually going to start at verse 23 and work our way back to verse 15. Because I, I first want us to see in verse 23, Paul again sort of keeps disclosing more and more of the identity of God's people, the church. And notice what he says. He says the church, you and I, Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are Christ's body. And in verse 22, he says at the end that Christ is the head of the church. And he says that to us again in other places in the New Testament. So a couple things, first of all. We've been talking in 1 John, in our study of 1 John on Sunday, about the importance of fellowship and staying connected and staying close to Jesus Christ. Well, here again, that point is being made by the fact that do we really want the head and the body to be disconnected at any point? That's always bad, right? When the head is disconnected from the body or the body is disconnected from the head. I mean, by the very fact that the church is illustrated as the body of Christ and that Christ is the head points to the fact that God expects his people to be intimately and closely connected to the head, Christ, at all times, you see. But there's something else there. By describing us as the body of Christ, he's saying to us that we are to reflect Christ, we are to represent Christ everywhere we go. And notice, he says that we have been filled up with all the fullness of God through Christ, and therefore we as God's people are to reflect his fullness to everyone around us. It's quite a challenge. No wonder Paul's on his knees, both for himself and for other believers, because that's, that's quite, a, quite a big undertaking, right, to reflect the fullness of God. But in his prayer, 
as we're going to see in a few minutes, he's going to get really practical and share with us how to specifically do that, how to reflect the fullness of the Lord. So he's saying here that we are Christ's body. And that's something that you and I need to keep in mind every day. So literally and figuratively, Paul is reminding all of us, yes, we really are the eyes, the ears, the hands, and the feet of Jesus on this earth. As the head directs the body and we get our cue from the head, the body moves and the body goes forth. So obviously, too, part of what Paul's saying is <clears throat> that when you and I understand our identity, that we are the body of Christ, we should constantly and continually be looking to our head for direction, for leadership. The body should never act on its own apart from what the head directs it to do. And so often as Christians and even as churches, we can get disconnected from the, from the head because we start sort of doing our own thing rather than doing or employing ourselves in what the head is leading us or directing us to do. So honestly, guys, you and I could spend weeks just thinking and considering and meditating on verse 23 of Ephesians 1, that the church is the body of Christ and that Christ fills us and, and the fullness that, that God wants us to know we have in him. Because again, how often do we as Christians uh, portray ourselves as weak and lacking and deficient? And yet the message of Paul to the church at Ephesus is, you are full in Christ. In fact, even said to the Colossians, he said, do you realize that in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form? And then he goes on to say, oh, and you are filled in him? You're, you're filled in him? So instead of portraying ourselves as weak and lacking and deficient and not powerful, Paul's saying we should be anything but. We should be portraying ourselves that, that we have everything we need in and through Christ that he has filled us and that when we are within him and we realize that we are simply his body, that, that we have all the resources of, of God open to us and that Christ is filling us and wants us to understand that he is filling us? Do we portray that fullness and reflect the fullness of God to those around us? As his body, we should be, you see. So that's the end of it, if you will. As we move our way backwards, though, the next thing I want us to see is the position of Christ, which is so key here, too, because he spends several verses here talking about that. He begins at the end of verse 20 by telling us that God's power also exalted Christ, seated him, seated him, verse 20, at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly realms. And then verse 21, far above. You know, Paul, Paul's trying to make a point here, not just above, far above all and every rule 
and every authority and every power and every dominion and every name that is named. In other words, Paul just keeps piling it on, basically saying, you realize that Christ our head occupies the highest position in the universe. There is nothing higher than him. In fact, then he goes down to verse 22 and says, by the way, God, to say it another way, has not only put Christ in the highest place of the universe, as he says in Philippians 2, exalted him above every name, but that all things now are beneath the feet of Christ, verse 22. And he is the head of all things, and that Christ has been put up so high that everything else now is below the feet of Christ. So you, you get the picture. How does that position of Christ, very practically speaking, impact us every day as the church, as his people? You see, Paul's saying it should. That by understanding the position that Christ has in this universe, it should encourage us and, and comfort us and, and, and so strengthen us and, and all of that every day because what we are being reminded of here is that there is nothing higher than Christ, that everything in the universe is beneath or below him. Therefore, again, whether it's individually, the challenges, the situations, the circumstances of our life, anything that I face is not greater or stronger than Christ. And as a church, whatever you and I are going to face is always going to be less than who Christ is and what Christ is. Christ occupies the highest position in the universe. And you and I, as his body then, are connected to him, the head, the highest person in the universe, every moment that we are alive. And Paul is saying, then why do we as his people not reflect his fullness? Why, why do we, you know, portray ourselves again as so weak and deficient and lacking and all of these things whenever we are his body and we are connected to the head who is Christ and Christ is the head of all things, Paul says. Not just some things, he is the head of all things, and then he goes on to say, and the Father gave him to the church so that we then could be connected to the one who is above all things. I mean, again, you and I could spend a lot of time just thinking on these tremendous verses, just contemplating them, considering them, and here's something else that Paul wants to sort of tie together. That if you and I want to unleash the power of God in our midst, both in our churches and in our own lives, then give Christ his rightful place. Elevate Christ, raise Christ up, exalt Christ, because when you and I put Christ in his proper place, the power of God is unleashed because we have things as they should be that Christ is above everything else, that God gave him to the church as head over all things. Let's remember that, you know, because so often we run into obstacles and challenges and situations in our life where we're like, what are we going to do? 
How are we going to handle that? And again, humanly speaking, we may not have a clue of how we're going to handle it or how we're going to get through it. But let's never forget that as Christ's body, we are connected to the head of the universe. And we might not know how we're going to get through it. We may not have the wisdom. We may not have the strength. We may not have the power. We may not have the insight. But Christ does. And all Christ is saying is, you stay connected to me, and we will navigate this quite well together, you see. That's why it's so important that we understand our identity, that we are the body of Christ, and we are to always stay connected to the head and always be guided and led by our head, Jesus Christ, the one who is the supreme master of the universe. No one or nothing is higher than Jesus Christ. But now I want to go back to this, the specifics of Paul's prayer. And first I want us to look at the context. Paul begins in verse 15 by saying, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. Those two verses give us the context, basically, of Paul's prayer for these Christians. And there's a couple things in there that I think is important that we remember. First of all, Paul is saying, I pray for my fellow believers. I pray for them. And notice here, what he's really praying for is their spiritual growth. Because notice at the end of verse 17, he says, in your growing knowledge of him. That's really what Paul's praying for here. The growing knowledge of Christians. That it's not enough just to be saved, just to know our sins are forgiven, and that we're good now, and we don't have to grow, as we've been talking about in 1 John, experientially, to know God more and more. No, Paul says that's not how God designed it, that salvation is not the end, it's just the beginning, and that God wants us to live our lives on this earth as his followers, growing in the knowledge of him. And that's what Paul's praying for. Are we growing in the knowledge of him? Because you and I as a church, and you and I as individual Christians, will only go as high as our growing knowledge takes us. See, so many Christians want to live on the heights, if you will, the spiritual heights, but they don't have the spiritual oxygen that they need to be able to live at those heights. Think about this, and it, it just comes to my mind because especially this last spring and summer, we heard so much about the horrors on Mount Everest and all those climbers that died trying to ascend the highest peak in, in the world and stuff. But one of the things I was reminded of as I was thinking through those stories is, you know, those climbers can have all the equipment that, that a, a climber needs. You know, they, they can have the, the, the proper clothing and the jackets and the boots and the goggles and all these things, but if they don't have the oxygen, they can't make it. And, and you know, so many churches and, and so many Christians, you know, it's like, that, well, we've got the programs and we've got the ministries and, and, and I've, I've got this thing and I've got that thing, and it's like, but God is saying to us, you, you want to ascend the spiritual heights with me? You've got to have the breath of God. You, you've got to have the oxygen, if you will, that only I can supply. 
And that only comes through the growing knowledge of God. You and I cannot ascend the, the spiritual Mount Everest of our life and really continue to go higher and higher with God unless we are willing to breathe his breath. And that comes through a growing knowledge of him. When we stop growing in our knowledge of God today, we stop climbing higher and higher as a Christian tomorrow. So that's one thing that we see in the context of Paul's prayer. The second thing is this. Notice the consistency, if you will, or the persistence of Paul's prayer life for other Christians. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I do not cease. For Paul, prayer was a habit. It was a spiritual discipline. It was something he did consistently and regularly. We're going to talk about that on Sunday. In fact, you're going to hear some of these verses again on Sunday. Uh, but that's, that's something that you see here in the context of Paul's prayer. I do not cease, you see. Then he says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Because I heard about the reality of God in you. And notice he illustrates that reality of God in them by their faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 15, and their love for all the saints. Because what Paul is saying is what James says and what John says and what Peter says and all the New Testament writers says. You cannot separate our faith in God from our love for others. Can't do it. You know, we're going to talk a lot about that in 1 John, that a person can claim to know God and love God, but if they don't love their fellow Christians... There's something wrong there. And Paul's saying the same thing, that our faith in the Lord Jesus will be evidenced by our love for others and especially our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So notice here, Paul says, when I pray, part of my prayer is giving thanks to God for what God has done in my fellow Christians. I got to tell you, I'm challenged by that. I mean, I, I thank God for you all, but I could do it more. I could do it more. And we should do it more. Part of our prayer life should not just be asking God for things and, and going to him with our own personal requests. Part of our prayer life, as Paul is showing us here in the context of his model prayer in Ephesians, is thanking God for my fellow Christians. Wow. And then he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. That Paul, again, is not just praying for himself and his own needs. Paul is also praying for his fellow believers and specifically for their spiritual growth that they might grow in their knowledge of him. I think to myself, we as a church if we could commit to praying for the spiritual growth of our people, there's not a better thing to be praying for. Our own spiritual growth and then each other's spiritual growth. That would be a tremendous prayer request to be praying for on a consistent basis. 
And as we pray for the spiritual growth of others, we also, as Paul is doing here, thank God for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That we don't have to do this Christian life alone. That we don't have to navigate life alone. That God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to surround us to do this together in community, in a loving community that truly cares and is concerned about one another and that prays for one another and is there for one another and we bear one another's burdens and all the one another's of the New Testament that can only be worked out if we are doing life and ministry together. So that's the context. But in our few moments that we have left tonight, I want to talk about the content of Paul's prayer. Paul begins in verse 17 by saying, I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. And here's his three specifics. So that you and I might know three things. The hope of his calling the wealth of the glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Let's look at each of those three tonight because they are the content of Paul's prayer and how Paul then is going to see these Christians hopefully grow in their knowledge of God. First, Paul says, I want my fellow believers to know the hope of God's calling in their life. What's he mean by that? Well, a couple things. First of all, each of us and as a church, we have a calling. God has invited us, summoned us to some kind of life, to do something for him. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to see in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has a plan, a purpose for us, and he is calling us to it. But Paul says, we should never separate whatever God is calling us to, whatever God is leading us to, whatever he's guiding us to, and we should never separate that calling from hope, meaning that we should always realize that we can tackle that calling and go after that calling and follow that calling that God gives us with hope, with confident expectation that whatever God is leading us to do, he will equip us to accomplish it. That he will give us the strength that we need, he will give us the resources we will need, he will give us maybe the people that we need, he will give us whatever, that's the hope of our calling. So for me as the pastor of this church, I could even specifically take from that that whatever God is going to call us to do as a church, I have the hope that he will make sure that we have the resources to meet that calling. And you and I as individual Christians can take that same application that whatever God is asking me to do, whatever he's calling me to do, I can enter that calling with hope knowing that God's not going to send me somewhere and not, not give me the tools and the resources and the wherewithal and the wisdom and the strength and all of that to be able to do it. His hope is always attached to his calling. And Paul wants the church to know that so that we can reflect the fullness of him who fills all in all, verse 23. 
one of the ways we do that is by following God's call in our life. Again, both as individuals and as a church. And to go into that with confidence, you see. So that's the first thing, the hope of his calling. The second thing, and this just, I don't know about you, but I just have to remind myself of this all the time. He says, now the other thing I want you to know as God's people is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the what? In the saints. Wait a minute. You're telling me that God's inheritance is me? Whoop-de-doo, right? I mean, that, that's the way I would feel about it, but that's not the way God feels about it. See, you and I live on earth, and a lot of times it's like, oh, we might, you know, get wind or something about getting an inheritance from somebody, a family member, somebody's like, oh, good, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, uh, an inheritance. You and I need to realize something as the body of Christ that from God's perspective, we are his inheritance. We're the ones he wants to spend eternity with. Wow. I don't know about you, but that should raise our value and worth of even how we look at ourselves more every day. We might not think of ourselves very highly. Others might not think of us very highly. God says, you're my inheritance. And notice, the wealth of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And if God views us that way, you know what Paul's saying? I want you, as believers in Jesus Christ, to look at each other that way too. To realize the treasure that you have in each other. Because that's how God views the body, that we are a treasure. Wow. You see, each of us is a gift from God to his church, to his body. And each of us has been given spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and whatever, not only to glorify God, but to encourage and strengthen others in the body. And God says, my people need to know the wealth that they have in each other. Not just in me, but in each other through me. Again, you and I could spend some time just contemplating that. Don't miss that phrase. The wealth of the glorious inheritance in the saints. See, the church doesn't look at itself that way a lot of times. We as Christians don't look at ourselves that way, and we certainly don't look at others that way. But Paul says, I'm praying that you in Ephesus will get it, that you'll not only get the hope of his calling, but that you'll get the wealth that you have in each other. Because the only way you and I as the body of Christ will reflect the fullness of God is when we begin to see the treasure that we are not only to God, but to each other. And when we begin to realize the treasure that God placed within us so that we will let our light shine before men so that they may glorify God, you see. That we do have a treasure within us and we need to let it out instead of hiding it. 
And then Paul has one more thing he wants us to get. And that is he wants us to know the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So it's not just, oh yeah, I know God's almighty. I know he's all powerful. No, no. Paul's saying, no, you don't get it. I want you to know as a Christian and as a church the power that you have been given in God. That it's not just God's all-powerful, that God has given us that same power. The same power, Paul goes on to say, that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It's in your church. And until you and I understand the power that we walk around with every day, we will never reflect the fullness of God because we'll walk around as if we're powerless rather than we are walking around and should be walking around as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who occupies the highest position in the universe as those who have real power, spiritual power greater than any other power because Christ is the head of all things and God has placed all things under the feet of Christ. Therefore, again, there is no one or nothing that you and I will ever come in contact with that is more powerful than the one we are connected with as our head. And that power in him, he has now given it to his church, to his people. And we are to walk around living in and living out that power every day. the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What a prayer. But Paul says, here's why I needed to be driven to my knees to pray it. Because he says, I realized in, in communicating and and talking to my fellow brothers and sisters in Ephesus, they just hadn't gotten it yet. The eyes of their heart have not yet been enlightened. They still need to grow in their knowledge of him and know all that God has for them and all that he has placed in them. Because without that, you and I as the church, as the body, will never reflect the fullness that we've already been given. Because many times we go asking God for what we've actually already got. Instead of simply expressing it and manifesting it, we're like, God, I need that. And God would be like, no, you already got it. Because you've got the Holy Spirit living within you. You've you got access to whatever you need. And through the Holy Spirit, you and I can begin to bear fruit like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness, self-control, kindness. It's all there. It's just a matter of yielding to the Holy Spirit of God and letting God work through us. So, in this great letter, in these first two messages from the book of Ephesians, we have learned, I think, some really important things. One is Paul wants to continue to just paint this portrait of how great our God is and what a great salvation we've been given in God and all that we've been given in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that now that we begin to grow in our understanding of who we are, our identity, 
and all that we have in Christ, now we can begin to reflect the fullness that is ours through Christ to others. And we can begin to sort of march through this world much differently, much more confidently, much more, uh, you know, strongly and with purpose and all of this because we finally know who we really are. And instead of walking through life, again, feeling so weak and deficient and lacking, we can wake up every day going, all the fullness of deity dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I dwell in him. I've got it. I've got it. I just need to start learning to tap into it and truly believe in what God has already given me. And if, if I need to start grasping that, how many more of my fellow Christians need to grasp that too? So guess what? I'm going to be driven to my knees not only to pray for me, God, that you will keep opening up my eyes to who I am in you, but that, God, you open up other Christians' eyes too so that we as a church can truly express and reflect your fullness to all around. That's the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for opening up the eyes of our heart and enlightening us to who we are in you. And God, I pray that just as we should be inspired and motivated to be people of worship and praise and adoration and blessing because of who you are and all that we have in and through you, that, God, we should also be driven to our knees because of the, the greatness of what we're involved with. How big, how much bigger, Lord, is what we are about than what maybe we can even ever imagine. And yet, God, you've got us, and you've given us everything that we need. That's, that's the hope of our calling. And I pray, God, tonight that through this great prayer of Paul for these Ephesian Christians, that, God, those of us here in Arizona at this time and place, would take these things to heart and that we would apply, Lord, this prayer and the context of this prayer and the content of this prayer to our own lives and to the life of our church and that we the, as the Oasis Church would be a church that would step up and, and step out and stand out for you, God, and that we would truly express the fullness to others of all that you are through us. God, would you go with us tonight? Take us home safely and bring us back on Sunday, God, that we might worship you once more and get into your word and fellowship together and draw strength from you and from one another. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.